you are about to discover just how powerful music can be and how God wants to use it afresh to touch the whole world. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So you you hear that music, some of you know what it is, embryonic journey from the Jefferson Airplane, and it it suddenly takes you back. If you're my age or a little older, it it takes you back. And and just that little clip, that that music there, it it reminds you of kind of the spirit and the, there was a looking, there was a searching, and there's almost the feeling of how wonderful, well, just, just music, no words, just music. It can have an effect on you. This is Michael Brown, and I am really, really excited. I'm, I'm holding in my hand a brand new book, The Power of Music, God's Call to Change the World, One Song at a Time. You say, who wrote it? Well, I, I wrote it. You wrote a book on music? Yeah, I, I wrote it, and I felt really stirred to write it. I, I felt moved on to write it. I, I felt this... This, this fresh passion to write about this, to convey the power of music to this generation. You say, well, we know about, yeah, but there's more to know. I, I wrote this book, The Power of Music, for worship leaders, for songwriters, for singers, for musicians, for worshipers, for lovers of music. Yeah, so for most all of you out there, to take you on a journey through history from music in the rock scene and, and the spiritual search that was taking place in some circles to heavy metal used as torture of prisoners to classics like Handel's Messiah and how that was written to classical music and the impact that can have to hip hop and rap and whether that can be used for gospel purposes and then getting into the scriptures and looking at what God's word says about music, there is a lot that's in there. So I, I felt the burden to write this as a labor of love to worship leaders, to worshipers, to churches, to ministries, to, to, to put something in you that would deepen your understanding of how powerful music is. And, and in many ways, it has a tremendous role in our society. We didn't even realize it. In many ways, it impacts us and we don't even realize it. It's just so much a part of life. In fact, I start the book, The Power of Music, talking about a world without music. And you, you just start to take it out from, from a, a mother singing a lullaby to her little baby putting the baby to sleep, to singing happy birthday, to songs of joy, songs of worship, songs of reflection national anthems and little tunes here and, and on and on. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary just how much there is in terms of the role of music in our world, the role of music in our society. And I have a whole chapter in The Power of Music where I talk about 
the effect of music on the brain. I ordered book after book on this, did research online, and music uniquely affects all different parts of the brain more than just about anything else in terms of having that effect on all the different parts of the brain. The question is, why? Why is music so moving? Why does it have the effect that it has? How is it that it can create a mood? How is it that it can influence how you're feeling at a given moment? Uh, when I was researching for the book, I got online and was looking up some of the most moving, sad movie tracks. And most of them were from movies I hadn't seen. But this one particular website had links to all the different tracks. And one of them, the moment I started listening, the moment the track started playing, remember, I don't know the movie. I don't know the plot. I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how, the, how the, the music's being used. The moment I heard the music, I wanted to cry. I mean, immediately, it, it just had this impact on me. Other music you hear is like, ah, ah, you get on edge. Why? There are scholars who believe that, that the human race is a musical species, that we were specially created to appreciate music because that music doesn't have the same effect on your pet dog or your pet cat or your pet parakeet, all right? It, it has a unique effect on us. Here, let, let, me, let me give you a, another example. Uh, remember the movie Chariots of Fire? I want to play a clip from that, the famous soundtrack of Vangelis. I have a vignette in the book. Each chapter, I talk about a subject, then I give a vignette. I, I talk about a specific song or the history of a song or how it was written or the impact it had. It was fascinating research. I think you'll find it fascinating to read. And by the way, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, we're going to have worship leaders on, songwriters on, talking about the power of music, doing really great interviews, all folks who enthusiastically endorsed the new book, the Power of Music. And when you order from our website, sdrbrown.org, you'll get a signed copy of the book together with a CD featuring these special interviews through the week. But let's just listen. Go back to Chariot Safari. Let's listen. I'm familiar with it. I've heard it over and again. I listened to it a bunch of times and writing the book, The Power of Music. But what what is it about music? You can listen to the dialogue and it wouldn't have that same effect on you. And in fact, if you pull musical soundtracks out of movies, the movies would be a whole lot less impacting. I mean, you're, you're there, you're on the edge of your seat and you're, you're, there's, there's somebody and they're going through the house and they're, they're, they're looking for somebody and they got a gun. But if you take the music out, it's just somebody with a gun walking from one room, looking in the next room. How do you know to be so terrified? Because the music is telling you to be so terrified. It's the power of it. It sets the mood. 
And throughout the power of music, I'm encouraging folks to, to say, hey, think of how powerful this is. Are we using this fully for the Lord? Are we using this fully for divine purposes? Are, are we? Uh, I, let, let, me, let me read a quote to you, all right? This is from the Power of Music book. And this was from the White Panther Party, all right? And this is uh, John Sinclair with the group M5 and the White Panther Party. So this is heavy rock in the 60s, radical, revolutionary mindset, one that very much was sex, drugs, rock and roll, and overthrow the establishment, all right? Listen to what he said. Rock and roll music is the spearhead of our attack because it is so effective and so much fun. We have developed organic, high-energy guerrilla bands who are infiltrating the popular culture and destroying millions of minds in the process. With our music and our economic genius, we plunder the unsuspecting straight world for money and the means to carry out our program and revolutionize its children at the same time. Talk about telling you what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and then going out and doing it. Wow. And then this quote from Kent McClard, founder of Ebullition Records, an underground producer of vinyl records. Listen to what he said. Music as product, as entertainment, as diversion, or music as a weapon, as protest, as outcry, as expression, music as ebullition. This is war on entertainment, war on the industry of music, music that burns the emotion, that burns the mind, that burns the system, that inspires the war. Music is more than notes and chords. Music is a tool in the hands of the artist or the terrorist or the revolutionary. Wow. These are worldly people, not speaking as believers, in some cases quite the opposite, speaking of the power of music. Here, let me, let me give you another example. Another example of the power of music. Let's play clip number three. What does this take you back to? Let's listen. So you hear that clip and what happens? Yeah, you remember if you saw the movie Jaws. You're back there. You remember the intensity. So, so just, just picture, just picture that. Picture Jaws, the same thing. Just close your, close your eyes. Think, okay. Jaws, what, without that soundtrack. Without the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, it's frightening. This massive shark with massive jaws and all the terror. But the music enhances it dramatically. So, Throughout the power of music, I give examples like this from musical soundtracks, from protest songs, from theme songs in different generations. And we analyze why music is so powerful and so effective and then say, hey, look, let's use music to impact the world. Not just the church, but the world. Maybe God could give us songs that'll be sung that'll change hearts and minds about abortion or that will burden people to leave all and go on the mission field to bring the gospel. Who knows what we could do through the power of music? And then within the church, are we fully utilizing it? Are we fully utilizing the power of music to bring us into the presence of God? What about deeper theology in our worship music? 
What about that? What, what about deeper challenge in our music? What about music that moves us? I'm talking about gospel music that moves us to action, to touch a dying and hurting world. What about in our own lives? What about setting atmosphere in our homes? Are we fully utilizing this incredible God-given tool? Again, God has created us to be a musical species. There's something about the musical impact on the brain. And by God's grace, I'm praying that this book, The Power of Music, God's Call to Change the World, One Song at a Time, will be used to launch a fresh new music revolution and help us use music all the more effectively to touch a dying world and to glorify Jesus in the midst of the church. Again, go to AskDrBrown.org. Take advantage of the special offer with the special interviews this week. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, it can sound so innocent hearing the Beatles, the Beatles singing, She Loves You. The Beatles were part of the rock revolution. As we talk about my new book, The Power of Music, God's Call to Change the World, One Song at a Time. I remember seeing them on Ed Sullivan. Most of America watched them on Ed Sullivan in 1964. And they were clean cut and seemed innocent. They were quite worldly wise and, you know, had their share of living in the world when they came over to America. But there was something compelling about the cultural change that came. And listen, I don't believe... We would have had the counterculture revolution of the 1960s with all of its impact, lasting impact, most of it negatively on our society. I don't believe we would have had the counterculture revolution without folk music first and then rock music second. I don't believe it would have been carried. I believe there had to be a, a song put to music, words put to music, themes put to music. And that helped carry things. And that's what people listen to or follow. If the Beatles were just a group of philosophers or lecturers, if they were athletes, they would not have had the impact they had. So in The Power of Music, I, I talk about the folk protest music. Some of you remember Barry Maguire's The Eve of Destruction. And what I found out in researching for the book, if you hear the song, he's unusually raspy voice. Well, it was, it was a long day and his voice was, was, was more raspy than normal. And when it was recorded, they thought that that works really well. That works well for the song. Almost, well, basically did destroy his career. The song was controversial. But, but I remember I, I got a CD. Oh, when was this? Probably around the year 2000. And it was protest songs from the 1960s. And got in the car one day with Nancy and I said, let's listen to these. What does it bring back to you? What do you remember? Because we were both children of the 60s and living in rebellion when God saved us. And, and she said, I remember how I felt. I was so frustrated because the world was messed up and I couldn't do anything about it. And, you know, one protest song, I'm not, I'm not marching anymore. And very eloquent words. And then Country Joe and the Fish, the Fix It Like I'm Gonna Die rag. And it's, it's one, two, three, what are we fighting for? And, and I mean, 
strong words, be the first one on your block to have your boy come home in a box and you get a half million people singing in Woodstock. And these things really had an impact. And many of the rock musicians and rock artists understood that it was not just music. There was a spiritual dimension to it. When I used to go to rock concerts, which I did from 68 to 71, and got saved at the end of 71. When I used to go to these rock concerts, it was more than just music. There was a power to it. I didn't understand until looking back later and realizing a lot of things were coming together in the lives of the people there. Many of them on a spiritual search, many of them high on drugs or both on a spiritual search while high on drugs. And then the power of the music and the image of the rock stars and, and their sinful living and the, the rebellion of the words. And th there was a, a spiritual component to it and a power to it. And I know it, it was a power that got me on a very, very wrong course in, in, in life. Um, rock historian Paul Friedlander notes, and, and every quote I'm going to read to you, they're all in my book, The Power of Music. Public awareness of rock and roll grew slowly. Once rock and roll did emerge, it threatened the prevailing social equilibrium that Columbia University's Dr. E.M. Merlu was moved to conclude at the time, if we cannot stem the tide of rock and roll with its ways of rhythm, narcosis, and vicarious craze, we are preparing our own downfall in the midst of pandemic funeral dances. He also said this, other government, religious, and educational leaders, excuse me, others joined in, reiterated those sentiments, calling the music immoral and sinful and its participants lazy and shiftless juvenile delinquents. Yeah, the music carried the message of rebellion. So Paul Cantor, Jefferson Airplane, said this, one particular element I enjoyed was the breaking of shackles, the intellectual shackles represented by the mentality of the 50s, sexual shackles that had been in place forever. Anything proscribed by the establishment, everything from Chairman Mao to drugs to acupuncture to Eldridge, Eldridge Cleaver was looked into with relish. Or how about Jim Morrison of The Doors? What did he say? He described the group as erotic politicians. He said, I like ideas about the breaking away or overthrowing of established order. I am interested in anything about revolt, disorder, chaos, especially activity that has no meaning. It seems to be, to me, to be the road toward freedom. Are you getting this? And look, there was something that the younger generation was also looking for, which was, which was right. Meaning there's got to be more to life than the American dream. And there's got to be more to life than going over to Vietnam and dying in a meaningless war. And there's got to be more than material possessions. Many of the questions being asked, many of the protests being raised had merit, but they were basically hijacked by the flesh and hijacked by Eastern religion and sex and drugs and rock and roll and rebellion and hence led to a lot of negative, negative outcomes and results. Oh, let me, let me read another quote to you here. Cultural historian Roger Kimball says this, if the politicization politicization of art and education represents one large part of the counterculture's legacy. The coarsening of feeling and sensibility is another. No phenomenon has done more to advance this coarsening than rock music. It is impossible to exaggerate the importance of rock music to the agenda of the cultural revolution. And, and yet there are rock leaders who said, you know, it's, it's almost like the young people are going to church. It's almost like a religious service. And we'll talk in a little while about the spiritual search that was going on and some of the 
famous rock musicians coming to know the Lord because they were looking for something and they looked for it in the world of, of drugs and in the world of immorality and in the world of Eastern religion. And they didn't find it. They didn't find it. And, and then they, they went back to the one place they weren't going to look, which was the gospel. The one place they weren't going to look, which was the Bible. It was church. That was the traditional stuff. I mean, Jesus was cool. Jesus was cool. He's like this rebel guy. But the Bible, Christianity, church, no, that's old fashioned. And they realized, wow, this is the most revolutionary message of all, the message of Jesus, this is the most radical message of all. Let, let's, let's go back. Let, let's, let's go back to the protests against the Vietnam War. And the two most famous and most influential songs that many people say, well, these were the songs that, that ended the war. I mean, that's how influential people make them. Country Joe and the Fish, I mentioned earlier, Fix It Like I'm Gonna Die Rag. And then John Lennon's Give Peace a Chance. So there are half a million people chanting this outside of the White House and asking, you know, Nixon, are you listening? Are you listening? Give peace a chance. And the, the verses are almost meaningless, almost gibberish. And then the chorus sang over and over and over and over and over and over. Give peace a chance. Let's listen. Yeah, the sentiments are good, especially a war with, like Vietnam, which, which we ultimately didn't fight to win. So it makes the losses for everyone all the more pronounced and the tragedy of those that served and died in Vietnam and had their lives destroyed in Vietnam uh, makes their suffering, their tragedy. Those of you who are Vietnam War vets, uh, it's all the more painful to think you came home to America instead of being war heroes, you were looked at scornfully as if you did something wrong. So the sentiments, good sentiments, give peace a chance, you know, often idealistic. Well, we declared war, let's declare peace, often naively idealistic. But the mixture, when you put the whole concoction together, brought a lot of destruction, brought a lot of chaos. How? Through music, through music, whether it's grunge or heavy metal whether it's hip-hop rap, whether it's another contemporary expression, whether it's pop, music has an impact. It has had an impact on every generation. There's singing spoken of throughout the Bible. In fact, some friends, oh, late last year, we were talking about this and talking about this book and that I was writing it and thinking about when and how to get it out. And one of them was talking about the prophets singing their message and how much evidence is there for the prophets singing their message. And I, I thought of Isaiah 5. Somehow I read it and knew the passage for decades. You know, knew the passage for 45, 46 years at that point. It never dawned on me that it says what it says. The prophet says, I, I will sing this song. It's, it's, a, it's a prophecy that he sings. And there'd be indications of other prophecies being sung. In fact, Ezekiel was told that the people, the Lord told him that the people came to listen to him 
just like, you know, singer of songs or an instrumentalist. Now, does that mean he sang his prophecies? Not necessarily, but it's interesting that that's the comparison. They don't really want to hear a word from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, repent. No, they don't want to hear that. We want to hear like a nice tune. And we know the Psalms were sung originally. And the New Testament urges us to sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord. We're going to look more at scripture and look at examples of, of Christian music in a bit. But let's, let's come back on the other side of the break. Let's talk about the spiritual search that was taking place in the midst of the rock scene. And I'm talking about some of this because it's a journey I went through. I was not in this, for me, rock music was not a spiritual search. That was just an expression of the flesh, you know, playing and doing drugs and, and all that. But for somebody, but in the midst of it, we were constantly searching and looking. And out of that, God brought an amazing harvest, the Jesus People Movement. Some of us got saved late 60s into the early 70s. And God used music in that, too. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Kansas, dust in the all we are is, is dust in the wind. We're just passing through, and that's that's it. Humanity just like a blade of grass here and and gone. Well, who's playing on that? Who's one of the instrumentalists there? Kerry Livgren. He also wrote "Carry On, Wayward Son," another Kansas song, and and he's on a spiritual journey during this time, and he ends up coming to faith. Harry Livgren ends up having a born-again encounter with the Lord. Now, in my book, The Power of Music, I have a whole chapter on the rock revolution because I go through the history of music. I, I go through how it's been used negatively and positively. Those who love classical music, boy, you'll, you'll love it even more after some of the things you read. Those of you who, who looked at certain musical genres, the role of music in the civil rights movement, you'll get a lot of info there. I didn't even know how much music was used in communist movement, in the communist revolution. That was new for me to discover that. And, and in each chapter, I'm saying, just think of how we could grab something from here and see something here about the power of music, how it can be used. New book, just out, The Power of Music. So the official release date, what, uh, tomorrow, January 8th, you can order now on our website. When you order, you're also going to get with it exclusively from us interviews that I'll be doing this week with, with Paul Wilbur and with Aaron Kreider and with Becca Shea and with Kalani Geckler or Gleckler. And you say, Aaron Carter, do I know Aaron? You hear his music every single day, every single day on this broadcast. Yeah, he wrote the song, Shake the Nations, with Start a Revolution. Yeah, that's, that's an Aaron Carter song. So you'll get to meet him. Uh, is the first time he's been on the air with me? Could well be. Could well be. Maybe, maybe once before. So we're going to have a great week together. You can order the book with the CD on our website, sdrbrown.org. But a lot of us know the negative spiritual side of rock music. What do I mean? Well, well how about this? And it's, it's all in the book. Um, how about some of the top 10 devil songs posted on the ultimate classic rock site? How about Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones? 
Yeah, these are not exactly positive. Hmm. How about running with the devil? Van Halen. These are the first five. Friend of the devil. Grateful Dead. Remember that one? Friend of the devil is a friend of mine. Devil's Dance, Metallica. Devil's Child, Judas Priest. <clears throat> How about just the name Judas Priest? Yeah, uh, there, there's even there are groups like Megadeth and Mayhem and, and Deicide, which means killing God. So, so there's a lot of dark stuff in rock music. And whole documentaries have been done about that and the demonic element of it. And that's undeniable. And, and I talk about it in, in the book here. Uh, the website Metal Injection, a little bit tongue-in-cheek here from their perspective, but listen to what they say. Since its inception, the metal realm, meaning heavy metal, has often been associated with the devil, sort of, in league with Satan, if you will. It makes sense. Loud, creepy music scares the blank out of regular folk, just like tales of fire and brimstone have freaked people out since the Middle Ages. Lucifer was a vain and egotistical angel who was cast down from paradise for that fiery independent streak of his. Instead, he ventured south of heaven to start his own band kingdom and show Lars and James he could make it on his own. He's basically the archetype for every disenfranchised young metalhead ever. Well, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and, and, or very much tongue-in-cheek, I should say, but it's got some accuracy to it. In terms of what they're mocking, there is truth to it. Listen to what Jim Morrison said of The Doors. And Jim Morrison, poet as well as singer, and led a very decadent life that, according to everything we know, is what ultimately killed him at the age of 27. And, and he says this, our work, our performing, is a striving for a metamorphosis. We're looking for some kind of change. Right now, we're more interested in the dark side of life, the evil thing, the nighttime. But through our music, we're striving, trying to break through to a cleaner, freer realm. Our music and personalities as seen in the performance are still in a state of chaos and disorder with maybe an element of purity just showing. Lately, when we've appeared in concert, it started to merge. Uh, How about Alice Cooper? Known as the godfather of shock rock, more recent years of professing Christian. We are a tribe of disobedient children, he said. Rock and roll is just another voice from the tribe screaming out with our fist raised at the heavens to some God that may or may not exist. Rock and roll is healthy. Every rock lyricist is confessing all the time or bragging about their sinful past or delivering psychosexual babble. But what the rocker really is doing is giving a, gigan- a gigantic yell for help. Interesting. Interesting perspective. I, I, I did a search for the most spiritual rock songs. And found link after link with 40 spiritual songs for the enlightened rocker. Top 100 classic rock songs with a religious contest content. 77 spiritual rock songs. Uh, there was even a site featuring 22 songs that are great despite being pro-Jesus, including songs like Jesus is Just Alright by the Doobie Brothers, After Forever by Black Sabbath, Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum, and Jesus by Velvet Underground. Now, now look, <laughs> some of these songs are theologically bankrupt. But Jesus was cool to them. You know, Jesus was in. He was someone you could look to. There was a spiritual seeking in the midst of it. I, I don't doubt that, that, that groups like Nirvana and Kurt Cobain and these others, they were looking for something that, that others 
more contemporary that I'm not familiar with that are looking for something behind all the performance and all the volume and all the rebellion and all the screaming and all the, the head banging. So, oh, a little over a year ago, I was doing an interview for Eric Metaxas, my good friend, Eric Metaxas for his wonderful radio show at the Eric Metaxas show. And somehow, you know, he plays all this different music to, to, you know, before a segment comes in. And, and it was the, the famous song by, by Dan Peake and Lonely People, right? Dan Peake and his band. And I was not really familiar with the song because I was heavily familiar with rock music from the mid-60s up to the early 70s. Then when I got saved, I kind of cut those ties and didn't listen to that music and, and, and listened to gospel music and things like that. So I would hear a song on the radio, you know, or maybe in a public place, I'd hear it. So it was a famous song you'd hear, you're familiar with it, but I didn't know why it was written or how it was written or background or anything about the group or anything like that. But when I heard it, lonely people don't give up until you drink from the silver cup. And I thought, what? And Eric made a comment like, whatever that means, whatever, you know, Eric being who he is, funny and stuff. I thought, well, what did that mean? What's that talking about? So I include that in the book. What did Dan Peake mean when he wrote it? And apparently Lonely People was written as a response to the Beatles' Eleanor Rigby and, and talking about all the lonely people. And Dan Peake felt it was too sad and he wanted to give some hope and, and don't give up until you drink from the silver cup and so on. And, and anyway, he was in the midst of his own spiritual search, but then got heavily involved in drugs and was going in the wrong direction and then ends up coming to faith and becoming a born again believer. And then he changed the words to the song. So I don't, I don't know if you ever heard the, the new version of it. I mean, this is many, many years ago. Dan Peake died. Was it last year? Within, within the last year or so died this fairly young, just in the sixties, but listen to the revised version after Dan Peake got born again. Don't give up until you drink from the silver cup and give your heart to Jesus Christ. And then it's, you know, the Lord coming again is, is part of the part of the words. There's a reason, friend, that so many of us got saved late 60s, early 70s, that we're living such decadent, wild, crazy lives because there was something more we were looking for. And ultimately, it wasn't found in drugs, and it wasn't found in rebellion, and it wasn't found in immorality, it wasn't found in Eastern religion. But the fact is, music was used. What a tool. Chuck Smith was, was one of a minority of pastors in America that recognized what was happening in the Jesus People Movement. Just read Greg Laurie's great book about Jesus Revolution and co-authored, I, I'm so sorry, I forget the co-author's name, a uh, woman who wrote the book with, with Greg. But they talk about those times and how God moved. And, and so much of it is about the music of that day. Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, recognized something was happen, happening, brought in all these young people. They started coming in, getting saved by the, by the boatload. And, and many of them were musicians. It's like, well, why don't you use your music for Jesus? And it started this whole genre of Jesus music. And it may not have been as good as the world's music. Who cared? Who cared? It was anointed. It was about the Lord. It was exalting him. And so it was excellent music. And, and that music then was used to touch many, 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 many others. 
something about the power of music. Here, just think of a tune. Think of, uh, oh, if I give you, uh, you're in good hands with all state. Is, is there a, a tune associated with it? Or, or State Farm is there, you know, Peyton Manning humming the tomb or tunes, something like that. These, these little ditty tunes, it, it can be for, for uh, your favorite soda or something like that. that why do you think the, the little slogan is put to music? Because it just, uh, it stays with you. It stays with you. And, and it, it just that little thing, it rings true and it gets in there. And, and if, if I ask you, tell me one of your favorite poems from elementary school. Some of you might remember them, but others a little hard to remember. And if I said, sing the ABCs, I do that. A, B, C, D, E. Well, well, it's not just going through the letters, but it's to music. It's put to music. So uh, I, I want to spend the rest of the show talking about the power of music joined with the gospel. You can get my book. I think you'll find it a fascinating read. I'm telling you, I was moved on to, I was working on other projects and I thought, yeah, one day I'd kind of like to put this together in my revolution book. I have a whole chapter on music and, the, and, and how music was used in, in the counterculture revolution, mainly for negative purposes and then an exhortation to how we could use it. But I, I felt stirred to write this. And then the publisher said, we want to get this out now. We really want to get this out. So January 8th is the official release date, but you can order it today on our website. And again, when you order it, you'll also get the CD of interviews that we'll be having tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday with some top worship leaders and songwriters as we talk with them about using music for the gospel and the, the anointing of God that comes on music. So I'll give you examples from scripture when we come back and, and we'll, we'll play a couple of clips from you that before you that will stir you and move you and bless you. The new book, The Power of Music, God's Call to Change the World, one song at a time. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. That is powerful. Does that bring you to the throne of God or not? Wow. I've been in services where we sang Revelation song there, Carrie Job singing it. I've been in services where we've sung that song and people falling to their knees throughout the congregation, people falling on their faces and worshiping the one who sits on the throne, the one who reigns forever and ever and ever. I, I could just read the lyrics to you. You know, in, in fact, I'm just going to look them up. I'm just going to type in Revelation song lyrics. And I, I read them to you. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With all creation, I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. That's nice words, beautiful words, powerful words, words based on scriptural truths. But come on, the power of me saying those words, even if I recited them in a beautiful, majestic English accent, how, 
how are you going to compare that to when you join it with music? Again, as, as, as we have a whole chapter in the book dealing with how music affects the brain, how music affects the human brain. Boy, oh boy, you get that with gospel lyrics and the presence of the Holy Spirit and radical change can come. I, I've seen many a time when the presence of God in the midst of worship has transformed the heart of sinner, has brought repentance to a rebel, has, has melted irreconcilable differences between a couple on their way to divorce and next thing they're hugging and weeping in each other's arms. There's something that happens. Look, in the Bible, I'll give you a couple of examples. In 1 Samuel 10, when, when Saul is, is sent to, to meet Samuel, the prophet, and Samuel tells him, you're going to meet a band of prophets, a group of prophets, and, and notice that they have musical instruments. They're playing as they go. There's a connection between music and prophecy. There's a connection between music and that prophetic release that comes and flows. Yes, you can prophesy without music, but often it seems you've got these examples of music accompanying those who are prophetic. And many of you will say, yeah, you know, I, I'm a pastor and, and I may come into the service. I have my message, but I feel kind of dull. Then we begin to worship and suddenly my heart is quickened. You've had that happen. Uh, maybe you're at home and you are busy running around with, with three toddlers and, and trying to keep the house clean and sitting down playing with this one. And then, and, and then this one's got to be put to bed and this is going to have a diaper changed. And it's just like, oh, kind of a crazy day. And you're behind on everything. And you got to figure out how to put the kids in the car and go to the store. And, and uh, it's just one of those days. But then you just turn on some worship music in the midst of it. The next thing you're, you're weeping in the presence of God. Where'd that come from? And the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you about your kids and how he wants to bless them. Something about it. Something about it. How about in, in 2 Kings, the third chapter, there's an account there with, with Elisha, the prophet. And, and what happens with Elisha? There is uh, another king, a, Ju a Judite king, and he, Jehoshaphat, and he's together with the king of Israel. And he wants a real prophet. Let's get a real prophet here to give us a word. So they get Elisha. And Elisha despises the king of Israel because of his idolatry. But the king of Judah is there. He's a good guy. He just makes the mistake of joining with Israel sometimes, which is a big mistake. He says, because of you, because of you, King Jehoshaphat, I'll, I'll go to the Lord. And he says, bring me a minstrel. Bring, bring me a psalmist. Bring me a minstrel. And when the man begins to play, the Holy Spirit comes on Elisha and he prophesies. Isn't that interesting? I, I remember decades ago, decades ago, and this happened countless times, but I was, I was speaking on Long Island. I finished a class. And I really had a burden to, to begin to pray for people that needed healing and things like that. But I did not feel a sufficient connection with the Lord at that moment, a, a sufficient faith and grace of the Spirit in my life. I just wanted to wait before Him. And I, I asked, I, I really wanted a piano player. I just wanted the piano player. And one of, one of my friends said, well, I got my guitar. And he got up and just started to play and worship. And it was fine. It's like, uh, just wasn't connecting. And maybe it's just me, but it wasn't connecting. And Nancy knew what was going on. She was there in the meeting and the, and the dorms, men and women dorms were right out behind the main sanctuary there. So she, she did as a piano player. She just went out, went to the dorms, got this gal. She was a student in the school and, and she came out and said, let's just let her just, and she just began to play. And next thing the Holy Spirit just fell in our midst. I can't tell you how many times 
just exalting the Lord. I remember being at a Messianic Jewish service one time and in a Messianic congregation, you'll sing Hebrew songs and, and, and songs talking about Yeshua, the Messiah and things like that. And songs about Israel being restored. And, and just in the midst of the particular service, the worship leader just felt led to sing an old hymn, crown him with many crowns. And the service had just been kind of a dull service. That's all I can say. It was kind of a dull service during in worship up to that point. The people, the congregation was not really engaging. A lot of people had started standing. They were sitting down. And here in a Messianic Jewish congregation, the worship leader begins to lead us and crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne, which most of us knew by heart. And suddenly everybody stood to their feet. It was this majestic thing. Let's crown him with many crowns. Oh, it was glorious, glorious. Something about music joined with lyrics and the power of the spirit can have incredible impact. In the book, The Power of Music, I go through a lot of verses about music. I give a lot of examples of how we can use it. I give suggestions for individual worshipers. If you just love to worship the Lord, suggestions for parents and how we can incorporate the sounds of of gospel music and worship in our home and, and influence the, the, the atmosphere. And, and, and then for pastors, how music can be used more both in worship and in outreach. And then for songwriters and for worship leaders and for musicians and singers, I, I give ideas and thoughts and try to plant seeds of saying, who, who knows how God could work in you through this and, and through you, other lives can be changed or how music can be a revolutionary tool. Let me give you one last example of the power of music. I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read some lyrics to you. This is Keith Green's classic song, "Asleep in the Light." All right. Uh, I'll, I'll read it with some emotion, as opposed to dryly. Do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? Because he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you. Be at peace. And all heaven just weeps because Jesus came to your door. You left him out in the streets. And, and the, the, the chorus, are uh, you sleep in the light? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? Can't you see it's such sin? The church just can't fight. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. That's strong words. That was a real prophetic message to the church. One of the most prophetic songs I know in modern times. But it's a whole lot different when you hear it put to music. Let's listen to Keith Green. The church just can't fight Cause it's asleep in the light How can you be so dead When you've been so well fed Jesus rose from the grave And you, you can't even get out of bed Friends, there is power 
there's power to that music. There's power to anointed music. I, I know there's so much being written. That's so wonderful. In fact, uh, it's a struggle I have because I preach in so many different churches and a lot of them, they write their own music. So I don't know so many of the songs or there's so many new songs coming out because so many fine worship leaders and songwriters and musicians and singers are, are producing new music. That's wonderful. But I wonder how many prophetic messages do we have like asleep in the light? I wonder how much music do we have that we can use to, to reach the world? And look, I believe hip hop rap can be used powerfully as a witnessing tool, as, as a gospel preaching tool, or as a teaching tool to get words in people's heads. And I, I find sometimes more content in, in, in a gospel lyric hip hop song than in a lot of our other music, because you get so many words in it. And I've, I've heard some strong calls to holiness through it and things like that. So I, I want to inspire you afresh through this book. I wrote it again as a labor of love for every worship leader, for every songwriter, for every singer, for every musician, for every music lover, for every worship lover. I wrote the book for you. And I trust you hear the passion in my voice about this. I, I believe you're going to feel the passion in the book. I believe you're going to feel the passion in the words. I believe you're going to be impacted by it. And if you have no musical inclination at all, you just love to listen to worship music or Christian music, I think your experience is going to be massively deepened, your awareness massively heightened. And for all of you who are using music, all of you who are gifted musically, this is the book for you. And I believe if you have worship schools and you teach on this in your churches, this is the book to use. I'm praying it'll really serve. I wrote it as a labor of love. Order your copy together with the CD with special interviews we'll be having the next few days here on the line of fire. Go to askdrbrown.org today to get your copy.